0: This is John Wertheim, this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're going to recap Wimbledon and spin forward to the hard courts. I'm joined by SI.com Ace Tennis producer Jamie Lasanti, who also is back from Wimbledon. How you doing?
1: Doing well, thank you.
0: You going to team me up here?
1: Yes, I will. So let's start at the top with the, the number ones. Start on the women's side with Serena. I would say it was a
0: good tournament for Serena. I would actually say both number ones came out okay in this event. Um, Serena obviously performed well and won the title, as many expected. You know, she wins the French Open, and that was a great achievement, but not her best tennis. She was ill. She was pushed to three sets in five of her seven matches. In the long run, I think it was helpful that she realized that she could still win playing B-, minus, sometimes even C-, minus tennis. At Wimbledon, it was a totally different look. I mean, I think she played a few of the best matches I've ever seen her play. I mean, those middle-round matches. She has she has the scare against Heather Watson, and she she comes through two points from defeat. That's her close call. And then for the next three rounds, she was terrific. She played a great match against Venus, which is never easy to do, but she served especially well. She played a terrific match against Azarenka, who I think despite her ranking, has really emerged as the player most likely to beat Serena, which is crazy considering Azarenka is, you know, still a fringe top-20 player in ranking. Um, you know, Serena then beat Maria Sharapova, which is not news, but Serena won her, you know, push, pushing the head-to-head record to 18-2. And then in the, in the final against Muguruza, with, with very little, you know, playing one of these opponents where you're never quite sure – whether she's just going to swing for the fences and do great or whether she's going to be nervous and paralyzed by the occasion. A tough match for Serena in a lot of ways. Going in there as the overwhelming favorite. Uh, her level dropped a bit from the earlier rounds, but she did what she had to do. She wins her fourth straight slam. She's now 28 major singles matches in a row, which is just sensational. And she heads to the U.S. Open, the home slam, the slam she's won you know, two years running now seven matches away from becoming the first player in almost 30 years to win the Grand Slam. So Serena, Serena emerges from uh, Wimbledon unqualifiedly as, as a winner. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk men, but Novak Djokovic, also the top seed, also the defending champ at Wimbledon, and he too. I'd say he did quite well for himself there.
1: So after you talk about Djokovic, suffered one of the most heartbreaking losses of career at the French, and we weren't sure how he was going to bounce back from that. And now, you know, he got his third Wimbledon title. What do you see for him going into the U.S. Open?
0: It's a good question. I mean, I I think that the the bounce back from Roland Garros was really the theme of his of his Wimbledon. You know, he didn't play a tune up and everybody sort of wondered how was he gonna do after this crushing defeat in Paris and he he did great. Um he, he also had sort of smaller bounce backs. He bounced back from two sets to love against Kevin Anderson in the fourth round and figured out a way to win. He bounced back from you know, really I don't want to say choking, but really a, a rough, rough second set against Federer in the final when he had Many, 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 many set points and bounce back to win the uh, the third set. So, so nice sort of powers of recovery for Djokovic. And now, I think going big picture, you say, wait a second, this guy's 28 years old. Nadal is is fallen off. He's clearly proven he can beat Federer. He's owning Andy Murray of late. Who's going to beat this guy? And it's sort of a it's it's not unlike the conversation we're having with Serena, where you sort of go through the the names and. You know, Stan Vavrinka obviously got to him. Ivo Karlovich has beaten Djokovic this year, just sort of hard-serving on a fast surface. But realistically, Djokovic is your, your I don't want to say overwhelming, but heavy, heavy favorite going into the U.S. Open. If he were to win the U.S. Open, he'd hit double-digit majors. This would mark number 10. Wimbledon was number 9. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you sort of say, wait a second, he's, he's 28, which isn't that old in tennis these days. Not a lot of obvious competition coming up. He may end up challenging Nadal's 14 slams for sure. Federer's 17, perhaps. So the conversation very subtly has has changed. And I think you know, I mean, you know, Djokovic has lost it two of the last four majors. So clearly, he's can be vulnerable. But realistically, he's he's in a very nice position right
1: now. And his opponent in the final. Roger Federer finally made it to the final of a major since the first time uh, since 2012. He played great tennis versus Andy Murray, and then he still couldn't go over that hump in the final versus Djokovic. So where do you see his season going from here?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a good question because I think he really – he he's such a rational, pragmatic guy. He knows what we all know, which is his best chance of winning another major is going to come at Wimbledon. He – gulps his year so that he peaks at Wimbledon for six rounds. Everything was going right. He didn't spend much time on the court. The conditions were nice. He was playing well. He was serving well. He spent very little time playing, so he was fresh. He played a terrific match. I mean, that match against Murray, I had players telling me that that's as good of three consecutive sets as they'd ever seen Federer play, like ever, ever, as in, you know, Mm -hmm. 2006, when he could barely lose ever. So everything was shaping up nicely and then he plays Djokovic in a repeat of last year's final and it wasn't as close a match and I think that he didn't serve as well. I I think Djokovic's, I think I wrote about this in in the mailbag, I think Djokovic's unparalleled return game really sort of gets in Federer's head and he knows he has to serve so well against this guy and I think that puts pressure on him. But I, I think it's sort of a bittersweet Wimbledon for Federer. He's No doubt thrilled that at his age he's still this competitive. He's no doubt thrilled about his play for the first six rounds, but he came to do one better than a runner-up trophy, and I think he knows that at some level the window's closing and these opportunities are finite, and he was in good, good shape. I mean, he he was basically even odds to win this thing, but, you know, he dismissed bookmakers. I, sh- I should bring this up. He dismissed makers in his press conference and sort of what do they know. But the makers aren't setting the odds randomly. I mean, they're basing this on where the money. I mean, actually, makers tend to be a fairly good predictive measure because this is what people are thinking, and this is where people are putting their money, and Federer was basically even to win this thing. And, you know, he, he won a set. It was a fun match, but... I, I think there's going to be a sting of disappointment that he didn't come, you know, he didn't come and uh conclude the deal because that's that was the ultimate goal.
1: And speaking of our runner-ups, uh Garbiñe Muguruza made her top 10 debut on Monday. Number 9. Um, you know, Serena in the final told her not to be sad that she'll be holding the trophy one day soon and what do you think about that? How do you compare her to the Eugenie Bouchard of Wimbledon 2014 who was in a similar position? Are we going to see a similar sophomore slump or what are you expecting from her?
0: I can't imagine a sophomore slump similar to Bouchard just because it's so extreme and even unprecedented. I think that there is going to be some similarity. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question you raised because I think there is going to be some similarity. Muguruza and Bouchard in the sense that there's going to be a new set of pressure, there're going to be a new set of you know, photo ops and the media pressure is going to be greater and I imagine when she's back in Spain, she has a level of celebrity that she's not accustomed to. I mean there will be some adjustment for her, but she has so many more weapons than Bouchard. She hits such a bigger ball. I think she probably has the I mean she's a very well-surfaced, well-rounded game. I mean she beat Serena at the French Open 15 months ago, handily. I mean, that was barely a match, mm-hmm. and here she is making uh, the finals of Wimbledon 15 months later. She's she's young. She seems to have a good head on her shoulders. I know the, the 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 IMG, the agency that's that's managing her, has been very cautious of sort of not giving her too much exposure too quickly. I think she has a good team around her. But, yeah, I mean, her her ranking has changed dramatically, and I suspect her life will as well. And when she plays the U.S. Open, she's now a borderline star. I mean, to have Serena Williams so to get to the Wimbledon final and then have Serena Williams say, don't be too sad because you're going to win one of these one day soon, that's that's a big moment for her. So I, I don't expect that uh, the train will go off the tracks for her, certainly not to the extent of Bouchard, but I do think that she's going to have to get used to a new tennis profile because she's no longer sort of dangerous sleeper number 21 year old Garbiñe Muguruza. I mean, she's she's a big deal. And keep in mind too, Jamie, this coincides with a bit of a slip in the men's side. You know, Nadal isn't the Nadal he used to be, and David Ferrer is getting older, and there's all sorts of um, disruption with the Davis Cup. So suddenly, you could you could make the case she's she's become sort of. Uh, the heir apparent to, to Spanish tennis, both genders. So a lot of uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of good pressure. It'll probably take some getting used to, but, boy, there's a lot to like about her as a player.
1: On the American side, for the women, we had a couple, you know, young players, specifically one who kind of also nudged her way into headlines uh, throughout the tournament, Coco Vandway. Uh You know, she had her best run ever, made it to the quarterfinals, put up a good fight against Sharapova, and it seems like she's going to ride that wave into the U.S. Open. Do you see her, uh, you know, making a similar run in New York?
0: Yeah, I, I could certainly see that. I think you're right. She was one of the big winners from this event. It's, um, you know, she, she's, I think because of her last name, you know, we, we all know her her uncle and her grandfather, I think because of her last name, it seems like she's been on the radar for a long time, when in truth she's still... You know, barely entering her prime years, and she has a huge serve. Her movement has gotten a lot better, especially on, especially on hard courts. I think she uh, she's a threat, and you know, I, I don't. You know, if if she's a top ten player, I'm not sure. But there's there's a lot to like. That serve is going to get her far. She's playing with confidence. I mean, you saw that not just confidence in sort of a, a ball striking mode, but you know, she got to. Six all in both of her sets against Lucy Safarova, top ten player, finalist at the French Open, veteran, good success on grass, and and Coco Vandewey won both those sets in tie breaks. That gives you a lot of self belief. You saw that with Maria Sharapova during the match when she basically said to the chair, "Either you tell her to stop uh, stop running in place, or I'm going to tell her myself." That mm-hmm. is not a, a shrinking violet. So I think um, I think you're right to mention Coco Vandewey. She's one of our Big winners at Wimbledon, and she's someone you'll want to keep an eye on for the next eight to ten weeks. Now,
1: and you mentioned, you know, in her match versus Sharapova, she's hyping up the crowd. She's, you know, waving her hands and kind of getting getting everyone into it. Um, and similar to Heather Watson, as she did against Serena in that match, which seemed like it particularly bothered Serena in in, in her in her play and as she was trying to get back in. What do you make of that generally, you know, getting the crowd involved? It's not something that tennis is necessarily known for, but it's very common in a lot of other sports.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure where that – I mean, you're, you're talking about Watson with Serena? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that was – you know, it's, it's a partisan crowd. It's, I, mean, I think given the circumstance, you can, we can forgive Watson. I don't mind the uh the crowd getting involved. I don't mind a player telling the crowd to get me curios has done it in Australia. I think context is important you know if if you're losing uh if you're if you're losing love five and you're telling the crowd to get on their feet for you it's a little shaky if you're a British player in a tight match against the number one player in the world, it doesn't seem like it's so out of line to uh emotionally ask them to support you i'm I'm all for it i mean don't don't cheer during points i mean there's some things that are distracting and not cool, but I don't think there's anything wrong with asking a crowd to uh, to cheer for you.
1: Heading into the summer, the question I have if I'm a player on tour on the men's or women's side is how do you beat these number ones? If I'm going to face Serena, if I'm going to face Djokovic, what is my game plan? What is my strategy if I'm a top 10, a top 30 player who's going to have a shot at one of these number ones?
0: I think a lot of it just depends on matchups, and I think Part of it is just, you know, you you hope you catch him on an off day, you hope you have a great serving match. I mean, I think that's one thing that that Sharapova failed to do, for example. She didn't didn't serve particularly well, and there was some second-guessing about where Serena was returning. And so many points were decided in the first ball or two that, um, you know, that, that it almost took a lot of the deeper strategy out of play. I think a lot of it and a lot of tennis just depends on matchups. I mean, Azarenka is going to play Serena in a way different than Sharapova would. I mean, I think one thing about Serena is she moves so well, even at this age, that a lot of times going for sidelines and opening up angles is not the best play. You might be better off just with depth. I mean, I I think that's a real key to beating Serena is keep the ball deep, even if it's in the middle of the court. And you're not running her around. You have to keep her in the back of the court, hopefully on her heels, because you see what happened. I mean, we saw that even with Muguruza, when a few short balls and suddenly Serena's eating those up for lunch. And Djokovic is just there's tough. I mean, there you look at his game, and there's just, with the possible exception of his overhead, there is just nothing he doesn't do well. I mean, it has no holes, it has no weakness. I and mean, we can talk about better's, you know, one-handed backhand and how hard that is to hit the high bouncer when he has to hit it by his ear and we can talk about ways in which nadal is vulnerable and andy murray second serve you look at Djokovic's game and not a lot of holes he's also obviously upgraded his fitness it used to be if you could make a match physical especially on hard courts especially in this heat how was he going to do when the, the match was you know three and a half hours four hours now he's as physically fit as anyone out there. It's really, really tough. I mean, again, serving lights out as Kevin Anderson did in those first two sets, as Karlovic did when he beat Djokovic earlier this year in the Middle East. I mean, I think that's, that's a prerequisite almost. But both of those players are number one for a reason, and it's really hard to, to strategize. I mean, you, you look at Djokovic's game, and there were times where you just sort of say, you know, you am playing against a machine here. What else can I do?
1: One player that we didn't discuss too much over the fortnight at Wimbledon was Simona Halep. We talked about her a lot heading into the French Open. She disappointed there. She bowed out early at Wimbledon, playing only one match. What should we expect from her this summer?
0: That's a good question. I just saw that she entered New Haven, which is an interesting schedule ad. I mean, obviously she thinks she needs more matches. She only got one at Wimbledon. It wasn't successful. I'm not sure of the wisdom of playing an event the week before a major, but this has been a disappointing stretch for her. And this is someone who came within a few points of you know, winning the French Open a year ago. She played very, very well at Wimbledon before she had a, a foot injury in the late round, and then not a whole lot from Simona Holop uh, since then at majors. She bowed out early. In Australia, and basically admitted that she wasn't, you know, didn't play particularly hard, which was surprising to see a player of her caliber admit. At the French Open, she went out, remember, to uh, to Lucic Baroni, a player who's north of 30, who's ranked outside the top 75 at the time, and then the first-round loss at Wimbledon. I mean, I think there's a lot going on there. She's having some coaching changes. I think there's a lot of pressure on her back in Romania. She's also not the sort of big power hitter that can slug her way out. I mean, if, if she's 10% injured and it's impeding her movement or if her, if her head isn't quite right, she's not the kind of player who can, you know, serve 120 and get herself out of trouble. But, you know, we, we talk about Bouchard, and I think as far as sort of falling stocks between Bouchard and the question marks about Nadal, it's obscured some other players. But this has not been a, a great stretch for Holop, who, you know, again, we're talking about a player who's entered Wimbledon number three in the world.
1: And lastly, before we get into the summer hard court season, what tournament are you looking forward to the most? Which should we mark on our calendars? Keep an eye on maybe some big breakthroughs and some uh, indications as to who's going to make some run at the U.S. Open.
0: That's a good question, especially with players sort of changing up their schedules, so it, it's not sort of the usual cast of characters. I mean, look at the D.C. field, for example. That's suddenly become a very hot tournament. Andy Murray's playing, and Nazarenka, and Bouchard. I mean, they sort of look at your look at your field there, and you say, that could really tell us something. Obviously, you know, obviously Canada and Cincinnati are the two biggest events in terms of, of classification, and I think, I think a lot of it, too, is just these players with... It's not so much the event as just these players with these ambient question marks. How will Rafael Nadal look this summer? He's had a long break. He clearly hears the same sort of swirling murmurs that uh, that everybody else does. He's got a lot to, to prove when he plays this summer. How's he going to look? How long is Jeannie Bouchard? She had that first-round loss at Wimbledon and said she had an abdominal injury. If it weren't Wimbledon, I wouldn't have even been here, she said. She's got some time off now. When is she going to come back and how is she going to look? And maybe does she even just say mentally, I need a real break. I mean, there was talk of her shutting it down for, for months and not for weeks, given what's going on with her. Um, you know, can some of these players build? You mentioned Coco Vandeweghe, Madison Keys had an interesting Wimbledon. Everybody loves. He plays in Newport this week. Everybody loved Dustin Brown. And I think that's what's so great about tennis—it's sort of this this ongoing reality show, and the the plot keeps chugging along. And you have these big themes: Serena coming to the U.S. Open, trying to win the Grand Slam; Djokovic, being Djokovic—you know how much the Setter have left in him. You sort of have these big macro themes, but there are also a lot of these these sort of smaller players are also interesting to uh, to watch and to follow. So, a lot of uh, a lot of themes this summer, and. I mean, again, the, the big tournaments are obviously Canada and Cincinnati. But I think uh, these, these week-to-week results will show us a lot about a lot of players.
1: We're looking forward to it.
0: That was Jamie Lasanti, SI's crack tennis producer, throwing softballs my way. I should make it tennis-specific, hitting some, some short lobs that I could tee off on. I'm John Wertheim. This is Sports Illustrated's weekly tennis podcast. We'll do it again in seven days. For all the Sports Illustrated podcasts, go to si.com backslash podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.